The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. This is Eastern North Carolina's longest sports radio show. The Brian Bailey Show is on the air. The Brian Bailey Show is powered by Greenville Utilities and also brought to you by Angus Grill, Bostick Sug Furniture, Bojangles, East Coast Grady, The Gavigan Agency, Papa John's, Pepsi, Seared Chop House, Taft Taft and Hagler, Tiebreakers, and Greenville Auto World. And now, here's Brian Bailey. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome into our show today. A very special guest is going to join us. He is Clayton McCulloch. You may remember that name from J.H. Rose Baseball, from East Carolina Baseball. His dad has been involved in the majors for a long, long time, and Clayton's been involved in the majors for now a long, long time. I still think of him as a a college kid or a late high school kid, but he's gotten up there in age. He's got a family and everything and now he is uh, moving up the ranks in Major League Baseball he's interviewed for a couple of managerial positions and he's going to get one very soon Clayton McCulloch will join us coming up he's the first base coach for the LA Dodgers and he's up next right here on the Brian Bailey Show You're listening to The Brian Bailey Show, powered by Greenville Utilities, providing reliable utility solutions to the Greenville region since 1905. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to our show as we continue on on this Monday. Clayton McCulloch joins us. He's the first base coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Spring training certainly just around the corner, and we're thrilled to have him. He will be the guest speaker, one of the guest speakers at the East Carolina Baseball Banquet coming up on Saturday night. So he'll be back in town, but we've got him before he gets here. Clayton, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks a lot for having me. Good to hear your voice again. Man, good to hear your voice again. I enjoyed our conversation the other day, and, uh, you know, it's been one of the blessings in my life to stay in one spot and to watch people come through, and you're one of the greats that have come through. I mean, you came through at J.H. Rose and then at East Carolina and then kind of keeping up with you throughout the uh, the minor leagues. You had a chance to play a little bit as a player in Kinston and then, of course, uh, moving on and, and just watching you, and, and we can't wait until you get that managerial job because we know it's coming as well. I know you've interviewed a couple of times, but uh, you know that t- that time's coming too, don't you? Uh, well, thanks for uh, thanks for that. Uh, you know what? I uh, I guess professionally, like I mean, ultimately, if that opportunity were to come and someone felt like you know, hey, you're the right person to you know kind of lead our, our franchise and our team, I think that ultimately, you know, at least at major league level, that's the that's the position that would be um, you know, it'd be incredible. So uh, I mean, I, a lot a lot of work ahead, and uh, as you mentioned, having the chance to interview a couple times kind of opens your eyes a little bit to um, maybe, you know what it what it would take um, for that to happen so uh, at least right now I'm just going to try to be a better first base coach uh, in 22 than I was last year um, but one day who knows We'll come back to that in a little bit because I want to come come through your whole you know your whole career and how you got started with everything and and really talk about your days at East Carolina because I know you'll touch on that coming up at the banquet. I just had a chance to meet with uh, Coach Goblin for about an hour today. We go over the banquet and I get a chance to MC again this year, so I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing and hearing you coming up on Saturday night. But uh, when you when you were at JH Rose, let's go to the high school ranks first. What do you best remember about playing baseball with the Rampants? Oh God! I mean, I think I you know best remembers like I mean we just we did a lot of winning like it was 
it was a lot of winning, like, you know how it is, you know, high school, like, it's a, that's an important time, you know, in, in, your, in your life there, being at home, and uh, I think had, like, incredible teammates, a lot of, a lot of um, you know, guys that are still my friends to this, to this day, uh, and I think what stands out probably more than anything with some of that is, is Ronald Benson, having, having a chance to play for RV, I mean, still to this day, like, you know, RV will, will try to stay in touch as best we can, um, but he was just very instrumental and, like, a you know, a, a terrific person, you know, at that time, like RV, Ryan, there was never a time when you didn't call RV and say, hey, want to go hit on Saturday. He would never say no. Like, he was always available, um, you know, very, like, you know, calm and cool, you know, RV, like, I guess I probably ruffled his feather some with, you know, my behavior at that, at that time, <laughs> Ryan, but man, but RV was just like a, a steady influence for us. Uh, and again, like his availability and willingness to always be there, if we wanted to get better, like RV was going to going to make it happen, and, and and those days obviously led up to your choice. You decided to go to Vanderbilt, and I think you were at Vandy for a year, right? Yeah, one year at Vandy before coming back to ECU. What what was the deciding factor in coming back to East Carolina? Uh, I mean, I mean at the time, like I, you know, um, you know, wanting to, I think in some ways at that age, you know, wanting to get away from home a little bit and go experience something kind of on your own there, Vanderbilt in the SEC, academically was very strong. So I think uh, those things, you know, attracted me. We had a lot of young players that were kind of be coming in in my class. Um, so, you know, Nashville being a great town, and it wasn't that far from home, you know, enough to be able to like, feel like you're away, but also, you know, you can hop on a plane from Nashville and be home, you know, pretty quickly. So uh, I think just I go through a year, and, and it didn't I, – I, honestly, Brian, like I can say it now and – and have before, like, I just wasn't mature enough to, like, take everything on. Like, I mean, my priorities at that time weren't where they needed to be, and academically, I struggled um, and did not do well. So, you know, you get through a year and reassess things and kind of where, where I was and felt like the best decision was for me was to, you know, come back home and uh, need to get my stuff in the classroom together uh, while also seeing what was going on in East Carolina with, you know, Coach LeClaire had just, you know, kind of come in now and was, you know, um, had a lot of my, you know, either friends I played with in high school or, you know, competed against the Cliff Godwins, John Williamson's, Bryant Ward, you know, that were there. Um, so it was a chance to, just, in a lot of ways, just come back home and get grounded a little bit and, um, you know, and grow up. You know, you think about some of the names you just mentioned, obviously, just great East Carolina Pirates uh, through the years. And, and, and it, you know, Coach LeClaire kind of changed the, the whole mindset of Pirate Baseball. It's always a winning program, but I think Coach LeClaire kind of took it to a different level. Uh, what was it like playing with Coach LeClaire? Yeah, I mean, certainly. And Coach O had, you know, had a ton of success there and for a lot of years. And East Carolina's you know, always been known, um, you know, as a really solid baseball program. And then, you know, when Coach LeClaire came, came in and, um, you know, put his stamp on there. And the, and the goal simply was to get to Omaha. I mean, it was to go to, a, go to and compete and win a College World Series. Um, and I think that was what, you know, guys bought into. He brought in some, you know, guys like Eric Backage, um, Nick Schnabel, um, you know, kind of a different, a different flavor, you know, coming from the West Coast coming in, and Lee Delfino. So we had, a, we had a good mixture of some local guys who, like, you know, there's a pride factor of playing, you know, at your, you know, university there close to where you grew up and having friends and family that can come watch that. Uh, and then, you know, you sprinkle in, you know, guys from other places that come in there to just want to, you know, want a chance to, to play, compete, and win. So we had a really good mixture of players, Tommy Eason, Kevin McMullen, you know, George Whitfield, 
Um, coaches there, along with with Coach LeClaire, were like, you know, they just they they pushed the right buttons with our group there. And I think we kind of, um, you know, as we went bought into the messaging and, and believed that we were, you know, we had a chance to do this. Kind of, you know, you play with that little chip on your shoulder. You kind of get tired of hearing about UNC or NC State and you know this or that. And it was kind of like, you know, we're gonna, you know, we'll, we'll show people that we're it's a good collection of players here that might not be um, as publicly known, you know, or as you know, high profile type type guys, but when it comes to like playing and, and wanting to win, we were a competitive bunch. Hey, you mentioned some other great names. Eric Backage, Nick Schnabel doing a great job with Michigan. Uh, they're coming back for the LeClaire Classic this year, so that'll be cool for them to come back to East Carolina and uh, get a chance to see everything, all the changes with Clark LeClaire Stadium and everything. But uh, yeah, and that was that was a bunch, you know, just a bunch of players that, that really you know won so much and had so much success and and really you know talk about NCAA regionals and super and the reason that Clark LeClaire Stadium was able to be built was because of teams that played for Keith LeClaire. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It was, uh, I mean, I remember, you know, the old, the old jungle and, and the old ballpark, like still brings back fond memories, but then to have to see what's been done there now and the type of facility that, um, you know, Cliff has there. Um, it, it's, it's awesome. It, it's cool. To, like you said, look back a little bit and while, you know, we weren't the reason why it was built, but like to have a hand and, you know, at least kind of, you know, some success that led to, you know, that type of um, investment enthusiasm in the program. And I failed to mention, like, you know, Chad Tracy as well, like, yeah. you know, Joe Hayden. So, like, I mean, we did. We had a lot of, we felt like it was a good group. And to, you know, be able to put our little stamp on what has been a very successful program for those, you know, four or five years is, uh, you know, I think we still look back on it fondly. Chad Tracy will be back for the banquet. That'll be a great picture. Get you some of you guys together. that are on that team. Uh, do you have any great Cliff Godwin stories? Anything that you can you can share with us that maybe you can't share at the banquet, but you can share with our audience? <laughs> maybe I'm going to save a few for the banquet. Okay, you can do that too. I, I tell you, like I was like, like you know, Cliff went to you know Green Central High School in yeah. Hill, and like you know, Cliff was a terrific athlete. You know, football and uh, basketball and baseball, and I think what still stands out to me is like how competitive Cliff was. Like, I mean, this dude wanted to. You know, it didn't matter. You pick up pick up a football and start playing catch, and next thing you know, like we're comparing our high school, you know, our, our high school stats. And I'm like, well, dude, you ran the option. Like, we actually <laughs> we 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 had progressed into the 21st century of football. Um, so, like, the, you know, ribbon there, um, and us both being catchers at that time. You know, we you know we're competing for like kind of the same spot, but like we're still friends. Um, and I, I, I will say, I think one thing, Brian, with Cliff, it's still like I think is. It's amazing the success he's had on the field with the program there, but more importantly, like the type of success that group has had in the classroom, you know, what he gets them involved in away from the field is like probably like you, you wrap all into being a student athlete, even if things have changed, you know, as an amateur nowadays, but it's still like it's important and their guys like it, it takes a lot of discipline to do as well in the classroom and then go on the field um, as he demands of those guys. So I, I think, you know, big, big kudos to him for where he is. You know, continue to take the program to another level, and that's the thing that we don't talk about enough. But, but you know, it comes up once a year whenever they they announce the the GPA for the team. But I mean, and I joke about it all the time that if, if you're the backup, you know, second baseman, and you come in with a three point two, you bring the GPA down, and <laughs> that's just unheard of. But I mean, that's I the, the kind of pressure that they those guys are in the three fours, the three fives, the three sixes, and and that's that's really difficult, especially as a student athlete. Yeah, like you said, I mean, those guys are balancing 
you know, all the time it takes to be successful on the field as a collegiate athlete and then in the classroom to have that type of success. And then also, I mean, you are at the time you're 18 to 22 years old, like in college, wanting to probably experience, you know, football games and just being a, you know, a college student. So finding a way to again, have like the, the type of discipline to um, excel in all those areas um, while also being a good representative for, you know, the university and, you know, Eastern North Carolina, it's allowing those, those young men's plates. But I mean, you know, Cliff is just certainly, you know, hit the right buttons there and, and makes it important. So it's important to his guys. Clayton McCulloch, our guest today as we talk baseball, pirate baseball, Dodger baseball, Major League Baseball. We'll talk it all. We'll talk minor league baseball a lot too and, and go through Clayton's career so far with how he's gotten to where he is now with the LA Dodgers. We'll take a commercial break right now and we'll come back with more on the Brian Bailey Show on this Monday, kicking off your sports week after this. You're listening to The Brian Bailey Show, powered by Greenville Utilities. Community-owned, community-powered. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back on this Monday, getting your sports week started with a bang with Clayton McCulloch joining us. He is the first base coach of the Dodgers. He's had a great upbringing at East Carolina and J.H. Rose, and he's had a great run through the minors, both as a player and as a coach, and he's done just about everything. Uh, And his dad, Howard McCulloch, has been a longtime friend. I think I met Howard, I think it was the very first meeting of the Hot Stove League way, way, way back, and we were both uh, charter members, but it may have even been before that. But I, I remember Clayton as a youngster. I remember his his mom was actually – she taught both of my kids in school, and she did a great job. But they both loved her to death. So uh, it's a great family, and uh, I know you're very proud of both of your parents, aren't you, Clayton? Oh, Brian, for sure. I mean, I, it's funny. My mom talking about, you know, growing up there and, you know, J.H. Rose in East Carolina. My first my first uh, Little League coach, my mom, she was uh, she was on the staff. <laughs> she, was, she was one of the coaches. I think it lasted a year until she uh, – but it was, yeah, that was good. And my dad being, you know, intertwining that, you know, the community and, uh, you know, I've certainly leaned on him a lot and still do and appreciate how his work ethic. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm definitely um, very proud of my folks and, and blessed. And it was always cool to me when I talked to, to your dad and, and even talking to you. I mean, you guys have so many connections in, in Major League Baseball with, with people that, that I, we only, you know, in Greenville can see on TV and think about. But but you guys always have time for everybody in Greenville. Howard's always been one of those that's been bounced around to, to come back to Greenville and help out here, help out with Ronald Vincent, help out with anything that's going on. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's really neat when you see. I always think about the same thing with the late Greg Biagini was very much like that when he, he was based out of, you know, lived out of Winterville, but you guys travel so much and do so much, you know, in baseball, but he was the same way. And it's just, it's really, it's really a unique concept. Yeah. I would say my, my dad, I mean, I, you know, he's a great man and I think his willingness to always give back, uh, I think be appreciative of, you know, how much baseball has, has provided him and our family, but then also, you know, again, that community in Greenville and how special it was. And it took us in when we moved there, I was like nine years old, um, you know, to come in and, uh, to be welcomed as we were and kind of, you know, woven into the fabric of um, of that town. And I, I think now, like, as I, you know, I know I've been fortunate to be able to meet a lot of people through my dad. It's opened up doors for me. Uh, but then, but also to look at how he's always treated people and, and his work ethic and, uh, you know, doing anything like, you know, modeling behavior. So I hope I'm living up to that. Um, but again, yeah, you know, real, real proud of, you know, and, and of everything that he's been able to do. 
All right, so you start in the minors in the Cleveland, now it's the Guardians, but it was the Cleveland Indians organization at the time. What was it like as a minor league player? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, I was, you know, uh, you know, a fair player. Like, there were certainly, you know, a number of guys more talented, and I think, you know, that you know, I was a little older. I was a senior draft catcher. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to have some terrific coaches and managers there. Louis Rivera, who's the third base coach now with the Blue Jays and has been for a number of years. I had him as a manager for like three seasons, and, and Louis always took care of me. I mean, he would he'd make sure he'd always tell me I'd play on those Sunday day games that you know, or after a long bus ride. That was about what my role was on the team. Um, kind of suck up some of those unflattering type games, um, but but he was great. Uh, and again, Brian, I wasn't that good, but you know, I had the chance to you know stick it out and. And then it got to a point four years in or so where I just kind of knew that, hey, this is, you know, everybody's path is a little different. And mine is a player. You know, ultimately, I'm not going to be a major league player. You know, it's going to be it's time to, you know, rethink things and how I can transition. Um, you know, and that led me to um, spend a little time with Coach Eason uh, one fall at Pitt Community College while I went back to get my degree. Uh, and then Billy Godwin at ECU had an opening that spring for volunteer assistance. So that was kind of like my first, you know, kind of foray in transitioning from playing to coaching. Uh, while I was still working to get my my degree, what did you like about spending time with Tommy, another great Pirate Hall of Famer? But spending time with Tommy at Pitt Community College and then bouncing over to East Carolina under Billy Godwin, you know, what did you see right there that knew, hey, I want to be an instructor, I want to be a coach, I think I can make this as my living? Yeah, I think I always, you know, love the interactions with teammates and like the clubhouse atmosphere, the you know, the chance to. You know, it really be about, you know, I was, school was, it was easier for me than Brian when I wasn't playing anymore. So it was like, okay, I kind of, I'm a little bit older, you know, priorities have changed a little bit. Um, you know, and again, like Tommy was, you know, getting things going over there at Pitt. And I had always loved and appreciate all the help that Tommy gave me when I was a player. Like Tommy's no nonsense. Like guy was an awesome player and like, you know, um, tough, uh, demanding of us, but at the same time, like, you know, um, he was he was great for that time. Like I didn't even know I was doing coaching, you know. And but Tommy would be like, you know, hey, you know, you kind of go go take care of this. Like there's just things going on. Go make guys better. Um, so I think you know, seeing his work ethic. I mean, Tommy's out there taking care of the field. You know, he's getting it all set up, like putting a practice plan together, helping the guys in the weight room. Um, you know, Tommy's a hard worker and has earned everything that he's gotten. Uh, and you know, and then uh, you know, Billy having a chance to go that spring at ECU. Uh, Link Jarrett was an assistant then. You know, Link and I are still still good friends and, and talk and kind of, you know, a little different, getting to see the bit of the inner workings of the recruiting aspect of things and then, you know, again, more practice planning and, um, you know, to be on the field um, in a non-playing capacity, um, you know, and trying to separate, like, you know, you're no longer playing. Now it's about giving back and it's about, you know, helping the guys, you know, get a little bit better. Um, like that always kind of gravitated me towards towards the coaching side of things, uh, you know, and led to some, you know, opportunities beyond that with, uh, you know, with the Blue Jays once I, you know, got into that summer. So, you know, those, that year of finishing school and getting a chance to spend some time at, at Pitt and also at East Carolina, um, you know, was great. And, you know, Brian, when I went in that first summer with the Blue Jays 2006, and I was just a coach on one of our teams in the Appalachian League, rookie ball, um, you know, getting to see the pro side of things was good. I got, I got early on to see, you know, the college side and what that took and what it was about, um, at least to a small extent, right? And then to go do a professional summer, I just it felt like the professional side of just kind of waking up and being all baseball and, you know, some, you know, some of the headaches of the, the, 
um, you know, paperwork and whatnot was was kind of more my lean, at least at that time. So I think I got, you know, again, I got lucky that an opportunity presented itself to, to stay in professional baseball and begin with the Blue Jays. And you were up in uh, Pulaski, right? That was that was your star. I was born in Bluefield, so you were right around there. Where you played many many a game, I'm sure, up in Bluefield and, and some of those other uh, Marion. I think's one of them. But there's so many of those little towns, and re- really minor league baseball. You know, they've kind of taken away some of that when they when they restructured and everything. But the the Appalachian League was a nice league, wasn't it? Oh, it was a great league, and, and it was. And and like you said, things have changed a lot in minor league baseball. But I, there was still something to like. You know, you get on the bus, you you know, the travel wasn't always great. The accommodations were what they were. But at the same time, like, it was fun. Like, you know, you just, you shack up with your buddies, your teammates. It's just baseball all the time. Um, you know, you get up in the morning, you're getting yourself ready for that day's game, and you go play a game, and uh, you do it again the next day. Uh, so, like, you, you know, you kind of look back now and joke at some of the things, you know, where you ate and where you live. You're scraping by whatever bit of money you kind of have. And, uh, look, I'm, I'm glad that they're making some you know, improvements now, quality of life for minor league players. Uh, but it is a bit sad that some of these more, you know, historic type cities and ballparks that have had, you know, minor league baseball for a number of years, uh, you know, in, in some ways have been squeezed out because that, it was just, you know, it kind of took you back to, you know, kind of how, you know, baseball was. This has been, um, you know, small town America for a lot of years. Um, so like that part I, you know, enjoyed and loved. I think now they're doing with some kind of wooden bat leagues for the college players for, for some of the Appalachian League teams. Like I know we go to Bluefield in the summertime and we stay in Princeton, which is another one, and we stay right near their ballpark right there. I'm sure you've managed you know there before too and coached there before. But uh, I, I, they've got still got something going on, but it's still it, it's probably just not the same. But those those had to be some some just you know crazy days riding the buses and getting from town to town and uh, just playing baseball. Yeah, that's right. That's all it was. I mean, you know, you didn't really have to think about, you know, really anything else. Um, I mean, and when I was with Toronto, we had a team, you know, we went into Bluefield, and the Orioles, as you know, had been there forever. Yeah. Um, and the Blue Jays got an affiliate in Bluefield, so then having a chance as a minor league instructor to go back into Bluefield, you know, like you said, after having been a player and come through there, um, you know, kind of come around full circle a little bit. But again, you just appreciate the people who come to those games. Like, they just, you know, hey, this is what we have in the summer, you know, to come out and you know, get a chance to lay eyes on what are potentially going to be, you know, major league players one day. Um, you know, and guys at that level, the minor league, you know, they play hard and they're and they're scrapping and clawing for opportunities and uh, might not be always be the prettiest baseball, but, you know, you kind of get a chance to see some of those at like the, you know, earliest developmental levels. So obviously, as you're starting off as, a, as an instructor and a coach and, and working with other managers, the, the Blue Jays saw something in you and, and they wanted to make you a manager. I know you were at East Lansing, the Lugnuts, because I, when I first read that, I thought, what a great name, the Lugnuts of, of, of Lansing. Um, but, but you're 2011 manager of the year, 2012 manager of the year, different places. So obviously, they've seen something in you that you're a leader amongst men. Does that kind of mean something to you? I mean, certainly it, it does. And I think that's kind of, you know, the when I, the first year I was just kind of a coach and you're, you know, you're just running around, just man, working, working, it's great, right? And then, you know, like managing the chance to, you know, uh, you said lead lead a group, lead a clubhouse, be part of like what you hope is a, a level of improvement from day one until the end of the season. And, you know, you put them in a better position when that season ends going into the following year than they were to start with. And that's both you know, with their skills baseball-wise and their baseball IQ and acumen. But the nice thing also, just like it is a, a young developing 
um, a, adult and then trying to set them on the right course of, you know, at the time what our organization felt like were important qualities. And I think just also like, you know, you're just helping to shape and, and model, um, you know, young people. So, uh, yeah, I definitely did. And like, go back again, like to high school football days, Lonnie Baker is the head coach and, like, yeah. you know, being a quarterback. And I think sometimes those things are just like, I've always really, you know, enjoyed that. And, um, so when I got a chance to manage with the Jays at different, at different spots and levels, um, that was the part, you know, you, you really liked was just kind of the day-to-day interactions with guys and helping them through some tough times. And also, you know, um, you know, probably the, maybe one of the funnest couple of years I had, Brian was after I had managed, you know, in Lansing for a couple of years and gone to the Florida state league. I went back to a you know, couple of levels below and like rookie ball again in Vancouver, um, and then, like, you know, it's a different perspective for me now, five or six, seven years into doing this, getting those players out of the draft. And, like, their first taste to professional baseball and our organization and, you know, what you're trying to, you know, the path you're trying to set them on. So, like, that was a lot of fun for me to kind of go back to that um, at a different stage where guys were, um, you know, again, and hopefully, you know, get them off, off on the right foot as a, as a professional. How hard is it to juggle the fact that that as a manager in the minors, you know, you're really there to to help players improve, you know, develop players, but you, there's still a win and a loss. They still keep scoring on the scoreboard, so you're not out there scrimmaging. You're out there winning and losing. So you want to win games, but you also want to develop these players. You know, how much of a juggling act is that? I mean, definitely. I mean, that's the you know, it's the big balancing act, right? Of like, I mean, like you said, winning. Winning is important, and having players develop in a winning atmosphere, um, you know, which you think like is a is an important thing. Um, but then also, like you said, you're you're trying to follow through on organizational mandates, whether it's playing time for certain guys or innings for pitchers. Um, you know, hey, if it, if nutrition is an important part of our organization, like how are we going to impress upon our guys like the, the value of that and establishing some work habits and and values. So, you know, you're, you're juggling that stuff with the players. And then also, like, you know, you have your staff. Like, you know, most of the time at those lower levels, you know, it can be where you have young trainers, you have young strength coaches. Uh, you know, you may have some other pitching coach or hitting coach that are, that are breaking in. So you have a responsibility as well to, you know, help develop your staff and build, you know, kind of your own culture um, within your, you know, your team. Like, you know, there's seven or eight affiliates, you know, where we have an organizational culture, but then also like, you know, your team is, is kind of your team and like what standards do you want to set and what expectations do you want all those, you know, staff members and players to have, um, you know, but again, I think that's kind of fun. Like that's the, you know, the enjoyment part is to watch a group come together um, with a common purpose and goal, um, you know, each year and each year is different, right? The players change the next year, potentially staff does. Uh, maybe what's important to you might shift a little bit. So I think the ability to, you know, evolve and adapt while also, you know, staying true to what, you know, you believe in, kind of your core values uh, was kind of my guiding uh, light. You know, as a manager, you also have to deal with young umpires. So take us through your managerial career. How many ejections for Clayton? Oh, my gosh, Brian. Yes. Um, you know, but I, I will say each year they, they kind of went down. I mean, I think, you know, it was certainly probably much more of a um, – had a shorter fuse, maybe a bit more emotional – uh, those first three or four years managing, uh, you know, because like there's times when you just kind of like your team, maybe you, you got to go defend your guy, you know, for whatever reason. You go out there and you get, all right, you get upset and boom, you're gone. And you're like, all right, I kind of did that for the team, like for this player to protect him, defend him. And then sure enough, the next day, there's actually a play in the game that warrants like, you know, 
a, a confrontation and need to go out there and you're like, oh my gosh, here I go again. I'm about to go two days in a row. <laughs> back to back. Yeah, this isn't going to be good. Um, so, I, yeah, I definitely, uh, I toned down as, uh, I guess, as I did a little bit. And like you said, cut off. those umpires are young, man. They're trying and, you know, it's moving fast for them too. And golly, a two-man crew, you know, on a field trying to see everything. They just can't. Like, it's not even fair. Um, so I think I, I stepped back and realized that, you know what, the more screaming I'm doing, the more arguing, you just could see the players. Like, they just, okay, that's what we're going to do too. And you're like, okay, hold on, wait a minute. Like, you know, this is kind of not what we're going to be about. Um, but then I'm thinking, well, if this is how I'm acting, I really can't expect them to be any, any different. So, um, but it's funny. I think the first, there's an umpire, um, actually this year was his first year in the, in the big league. So I, I see him, you know, one game I'm coaching first, he's over there and we say hello, you know, and we're, we're laughing, reminiscing. And I was, that was the first guy that he ever ejected. So like, <laughs> that was like 10 or 12 years ago. Like, you know, he still remembers it. And, and I remember it and like, you know, we're, we're friends now, you know, and, and cordial, but yeah, he, he remembers that, uh, you know, that instance. And I tell him like, you still love me that 25 bucks that it cost me <laughs> It's fine for getting thrown out. Cause I was right. <laughs> Were, were there any any weird plays that you got thrown out because you were arguing some just a weird call or a weird rule or anything like that? There was there was one in so we're in in the Northwest League. I'm managing in Vancouver. I think we were playing in the Boise team, the Cubs, and so our team's on defense. All right, our guy throws a pitch. It actually bounces. The kid the kid hits it off the bounce. All right, boom! It bounces. He hits it. It goes up in the air to our shortstop. Right. Well, their guy just takes off running to first. You know, our guy catches it, um, you know, and they're, like, safe at first. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, hold on. You know, I go out there, and the umpire's like, well, the ball bounced. You know, and I'm like, well, well, yeah, I mean, I think we all know it bounced, but, like, it bounced, and then he hit it. Like, you know, it left his bat and went in the air, and he goes, no, Clayton, the ball bounced. I'm like, okay, yeah, I got that it bounced, but I'm not sure how, like, this field isn't the most manicured and, like, well-dressed, but it's hard to think that the ball he hit, and now it bounced. 50 feet in the air for the guy to catch. Like, hold on. He just kept going back, Brian, to it bounced. And I said, yeah, Mike, <laughs> all right. Uh, can you go ask, you know, your buddy, like, and they finally, you know, got together. And I think they, they did change it and called the guy out. You know, he hit it off the bounce, which was fairly impressive. Um, that is impressive. He just couldn't get off it. Like the ball bounced and he hit it. And I was like, well, yeah, but like there's a distinction, right? Of like, when did it hit the ground? Like pre-contact post. So I remember that one just being a string. Like, you just don't see that, like, you know, happen much. Off the bounce, hit it, and actually goes in the air to a defender, catch it, and then it's kind of like, you know, no one's really sure. Uh, and then I guess one other play that was quirky was rookie ball again. Weird stuff just seems to happen in rookie ball, Brian. Yeah. You know, bases loaded. We're on defense. Guy crushes one out to left center. Our center fielder goes over the fence to rob it. Okay, catches it. Now the player's on base. They just run. Like, so you got multiple guys that have passed each other. Now they're trying to scramble and run back. The hitter, he's not sure. He thinks it's a homer. One of the umpires out there, he's not sure. The ball's just kind of getting thrown back into the field. And when the dust settled there, you know, like nobody knew who was out and like who went where because those two guys couldn't see everything going on. So like this guy tagging up, well, yeah, run score here, this guy. And so that one got me ejected because I think by, by the end of it, it was like this, you know, this chaotic scene right here there's no way that like we can come out of it and like you know the cost to run and like it was just that was just that was a wild one yeah. you know, bodies running around the field nobody knowing what's going on 
And you, you can almost visualize that in a game where, where the exact situation you said, a long you know, fly ball, guy jumps at the fence, you know, makes the catch, falls over, guys are, you know, one guy's tagging up, one guy's running past him. I mean, if the guy's running past him, the guy tagged up, what happens to that play? You know, yeah, there's there's a number of things that could have happened on that play. Yeah, people are trying to point where to throw, and then you got to try to appeal it, and now it's like, all right, these guys have never had to probably appeal a play, and now it's, is the ball still live? Is it... You know, you have to step off. So it just was, yeah, it was a kind of a chaotic scene. And you can imagine at like two o'clock on a, you know, Wednesday in Dunedin, Florida, when it's about 99 degrees, (laughs) 100% humidity, you know, (laughs) it was funny. Clayton McCulloch joining us. You're in Florida, right? You're in your home in Florida? Yes, sir. We made our home in Jupiter now. That's what I thought. It'll be eight, eight, eight years this fall. How does that work during the season? I mean, you know, do you get a chance to get back at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, working for a West Coast team living in Jupiter is not ideal. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think I, my wife and I still joke, we wish we were still in Vero Beach uh, for spring training, but that, that ship has sailed. So we're, uh, you know what, my previous position, Brian, when I was like my early field coordinator and had the ability to, you know, bop around and, you know, go out for X amount of days, come home for a bit was, was really nice and, and made it workable. I mean, last year I left around Valentine's day and, uh, we came home two days before Halloween. So I went about however long that is without seeing my home. Wow. Um, so that was, that was, you know, tough to complain. Everything was great, but that was, uh, definitely, you know, a little bit different now with our lifestyle with, you know, than was in previous years. From Jupiter, Florida, Clayton McCullough joining us. We'll take a final commercial break, and then we'll come back, and we will rejoin Clayton and talk more about his Dodger career, and then we'll wrap things up with Clayton right after this. You're listening to The Brian Bailey Show, powered by Greenville Utilities. Community-owned utilities mean local control, low rates, and high reliability. Now, back to the show. Hi, right, welcome back as we wrap things up with Clayton McCullough, who is the first base coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, Clayton, fill us in on your role with the Dodgers as the first base coach. What are your primary responsibilities day-to-day, game-to-game? Yeah, so primarily, like I, uh, so the outfielders, um, the positioning for the outfielders in game, um, along with you know any of the any of the work you know work we'll do before game, uh, you know putting together their you know our drill packages and our work during spring training. Uh, so like you know defensively, that's where you know most of my attention is is with our with our outfielders, and then I help out with our, our infield coaches, Dino Ebel, our third base coach. So you know when able help him out as well with our with our infielders before the game, but you know mostly it's. Um, it's our outfielders, and then on the base running side, I will, you know, I go in and look at the uh, the opposing pitchers, uh, starters, and relievers for, you know, maybe anything we can use in advantage, um, you know, pickoff moves and times to the plate, and um, you know, at first and second. So that's those two things are where the bulk of my time, uh, you know, is spent in preparation, you know, for a series, and then you know, within a game, you know, making adjustments with guys based on you know where we're at and, and what's going on. I had a chance to uh, visit one of your teammates when he was in the majors, Chad Tracy. The Diamondbacks came to Baltimore, so I made arrangements to go up and interview him in the locker room, and he showed me around a little bit. I was amazed that week, that that weekday afternoon game. It was a night game, but they get to the you know to the field very very early, and some of the guys you know sitting around just watching videos, and so many you know, and I'm sure it's improved since then because that's you know the technology's changed so much, but just watching 
video after video and trying to, to see, you know, as a as a hitter, what, what you're doing is, you know, just just there's so much to, you know, just the, the little parts of the game. Yeah, I mean, there's just not many secrets anymore, Brian, with the, like you said, everything's on tape. You got video of, of from every angle and, you know, anything you'd like to pull up. And then with the amount of, you know, data and statistics now, the prevalence they have in the game, like it's just, you know, it's tough. I mean, there's no secrets with players. We know, you know, a guy comes to pitch, like it's, you have a good idea of what makes him successful. But on the flip side with our hitters, I mean, they know, they know where your holes are. They know where your weaknesses are, or where maybe you're currently struggling and how that matches up. Uh, you know, defensively now you can, you know, you can track, you know, sprint speed, burst, reaction, uh, range. So in a lot of ways it's made, it has made coaching easier because there's just, you know, there's less gray. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, kind of black and white. Like here's an area you need to work on, you know, and this is, you know, here's what the numbers are, are telling us, you know, and you're always, you know, there's some context with everything, you know, situationally. But, um, yeah, I mean, the amount of time guys put into um, their preparation that day, I mean, our, our guys are in the cage all day long, you know, like you said, looking at that night starter, you know, looking at their own swings, um, you know, our staff members, I mean, that's a big part of the day is, you know, you're preparing for that day's game, Brian. I think I found this out quickly. It's, you know, you have that game today, but like tomorrow comes quick and one series to the next. So, you know, it's while we're in the middle of playing, you know, three games at home against so-and-so, you know, we know in a couple of days, hey, we're starting a new series. We've got to, you know, be prepared and be ready going into game one of that series. So you're kind of always, you know, working ahead for what's coming while also like, you know, the important thing is today's game and, and winning and, um, preparing the guys for, for that. So it's a kind of a constant, you know, back and forth. And, you know, those, those series and those games add up. And I'll tell you what, man, love the stretches when we start playing teams in our division like back-to-back because your familiarity with them, you know, at least, you know, you don't have to maybe grind as much as, as you do for a team that, you know, you haven't seen or, you know, you see once a year. What's it mean to you when you're sitting in the locker room hours before the first pitch of the game, but you're putting that nice, clean, white uniform on with Dodgers on the front of it? What does that mean to you? Yeah, it was. I think you know, you, some couple times, you know, you you know, you just you do you take a second and just and look around and go. I mean, there's, you know, again, like this is as a kid growing up. I mean, this is you know, in the major league to be to be at a major league game and be in a major league stadium. Um, you know, I, I hope I never take it for granted. And Dave Roberts. Our manager says that a lot, like, hey, boys, nothing like a major league game. Like, you know, and he's right. Like, I mean, it is. You go out there and, you know, um, it's it's an important, it's a big deal. And there's only, you know, there's 30 teams, so there's 30 first base coaches. There's 30, there's just a, you know, there's a lot of people who would love and die to be doing that. So I think there's part of that is, you know, now it's, you know, our responsibility to do the best job I can and, and be an impactful member of our, our team. But there's, you know. There is. I'm not going to lie. Part you walk out there and you're like, man, here we go. I'm in Dodger Stadium right now. You know, standing here and you know, especially in the playoffs, Brian. My first experience this year in the playoffs, which like it's all about, and to you know, know that hey, we're the only game in town tonight. You know, and like going and like you know, um, you know, our whole city, like you know, people, um, you know, coming out to to support and and watch this, and so that was, you know, you just know that not many people have the opportunity to do that, and how lucky you are. And again, I hope. I hope I don't ever take it for granted. And I hope I continue to get opportunities to, you know, keep doing this. Now your home's in Jupiter, Florida, but you're in Los Angeles. Obviously, a lot of the time as the third, uh, first base coach, rather with the Dodgers. Yeah, what what do you have to do as far as do you have to go out into that traffic in Los Angeles at all, or or kind of do you stay away from all that? <laughs> I guess I guess luckily our jobs are the commute when I have to go into the field is 
I'm usually going, you know, against traffic, um, or it's a time of day when at least out there, if it slows down a little bit, you know, around 12, one o'clock, it slowed down some. Uh, and then at night, you know, man, you zip back, but oh yeah, there's, I think you just, Ryan, you just expect it to be a little bit busy, um, out there most days. I mean, my poor wife, they spent, uh, they spent the whole summer out in LA. We rented a house, um, actually close to Bryant Ward and, and his family, which was incredible, you know, to have our families close together last year. But I think her having to drive from the beach um, downtown, you know, you start to you realize it's not about miles. It's just like how long it's going to take. You know, it's, hey, it's going to, she might, she might take an hour and a half to drive, you know, 20 miles, uh, depending on the time of day she goes. So for her. <laughs> Yeah. It's not quite Fire Tower Road and Greenville Boulevard, is it? <laughs> it can take a little while. Um, but I tell you what, like it was, you know, again, like the the experience, like it's it's just tough to complain with the you know, the the stadiums and and the travel and, and, and getting to see the best of the best players every night, um, and be around some of the best players, um, you know, is is great. All right, my buddy Brian Medor is a big Dodger fan, so I know you probably remember Medor, but uh, we want to get a scouting report. How good are the Dodgers going to be this year? Well, Brian, I mean, we should be. Uh, we'll be good again. I mean, I think we'll we'll go into spring with as, as good a chance to, you know, play for a World Series as anybody else. And our Andrew Friedman, Brandon Gomes, members of our front office, like they're just relentless with, you know, acquiring talent, not only, you know, the Trey Turner, Max Scherzers, those types of deals, but I think, you know, unearthing some, um, potential diamonds in the rough and how those guys can, you know, come in and, and um, you know, be a part of, of helping us win. So I think we'll, it'll be frenzied. I would imagine once, you know, things get back going business-wise again with some of the free agent signings and trades. So um, confident that our group, what we have returning and what we'll, you know, what we'll ultimately add, um, you know, will put us in a position to, you know, hopefully stay healthy and, and win six more games than we did last year. Yeah, Clip Brock back here with uh, Pirate Radio doing the Tomahawk chop. He's a big Brave fan, so uh, oh. <laughs> we were due for one. We, we were due for one. Oh finally. my gosh, my my kids now they do the thumbs down. They got they they went to those games. So they they heard enough of the chop. And I was I Clip I was a I was a Braves fan growing up. Me, you know, that's what you watch, right? TV yeah. on the you know the, the Braves. And now I got to say I'm not as much a fan of the Braves as I once was. Well, my my I guess to say how big and bad the Dodgers are. Once we, I say we, once the Braves won the NLCS, I felt like we won the championship. Like getting past the Dodgers was the main was the main deal. That's how much you're respected. Uh, your team's respected, Clayton. Yeah, the Braves were good. I mean, they did. They 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 beat. They played better. Um, so I guess if you were going to lose to lose to the eventual champion, I guess it took some of the sting out, uh, maybe a little bit. I right, see. So, so you work in Los Angeles. Those Rams are headed to the Super Bowl. What do you think about that? Yeah, I know. It's it's great. You know, again, like the Lakers have, you know, won a championship a couple years ago and we won it in 20 and now the Rams playing for a Super Bowl. So, yeah, exciting times in L.A. And I think that's just, you know, it does. It helps continue to drum up excitement, um, you know, as we go into next year, too. You know, hopefully the Rams will finish this thing off and, and win the Super Bowl and we can, you know, come back next year and, and put ourselves in position to win another World Series. Clayton McCullough joining us today. He'll be in town for the East Carolina Baseball Banquet. You're bringing your son, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, my son Kyle. He's five. That'll be fun. <laughs> He'll enjoy the banquet. If and if you need somebody to look after him, just bring him to my table. We'll hang out. It'll be fine. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to hope he doesn't like pick everything up and throw it. He's kind of you know he's into baseball now. He likes to throw anything. So we're going to have to um, you know have to tell him to you know keep the bread on your plate. <laughs> baseball.
Cliff's got a pretty good staff, but uh, he can always use another arm. Yeah, I know. I bet. I told him, Cliff, yeah, class of like 2037, whatever it is, we can start talking a little bit about, you know, scholarships. They recruit earlier now, Brian. Yeah, they most certainly do. All right, Clayton, we most certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll let you get out of here and, and get some business going. I know spring training, as you said, just around the corner. Wish the Dodgers the very best of luck, and we can't wait to see you coming up this weekend. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and I look forward to seeing you know you and everyone else on uh, you know this weekend back home. Sounds good. Clayton McCulloch, join us. We'll take one final break, and then we'll wrap things up on this edition of the Brian Bailey Show for you coming up after this. You're listening to The Brian Bailey Show, powered by Greenville Utilities, working for our community, not for shareholders. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to the show. I got to do that promo over again because I had a cold or something in that deal, and it pops up in my own show. But welcome back to The Brian Bailey Show. Uh, As we wrap things up, Rams and the Bengals headed to the Super Bowl. I wanted to bring Clip on for a second just to kind of chit-chat about the uh, NFL games. I was amazed that the Bengals' defense did what they did to the Chiefs in the second half and a lot of people are talking about the play right before the half where Kansas City threw a like a little screen pass and didn't get close to the end zone and really lost out on at least three points and they should have thrown to the end zone and may have gotten seven but I think that was the amazing part of that game and then the Rams and 49ers were just kind of a you know a slugfest it kept going back and forth what do you think amazing uh but we've seen this before with the Bengals and Chiefs they met in the regular season Chiefs scored 28 in the first half and couldn't get anything in the second half. We should have had 28 in the first half this time, right? Well, yeah, or 24. Right, either either or. That uh, We talked about that decision at the end of the first half earlier, but credit to the Bengals, uh, their defense getting it done. And then, uh, yeah, the, the second game, I, I give Kyle Shanahan all the credit in the world, but I saw somebody bring this up. Uh, we're talking about another team that blew a big lead uh in the second half that Kyle Shanahan was a part of of course he was the offensive coordinator with the Falcons in that Super Bowl and then yesterday uh the Rams are able to get it done and uh I like it Bailey kind of a random Super Bowl I mean the Rams were we thought they'd be good going into the year uh nobody had the Bengals so I'm excited no and the Bengals I guess they're, they're coming out with it now the best uh best ever from from one year to the next improvement now because they were well, they went four games last year and and then they bounced back and you know, now they're, they're in the Super Bowl so uh there was a stat that they were had the second most uh and I'll see if I can find this real quick but they were up there with like the 81 Niners and then the Panthers that went to the Super yeah. Bowl uh, when they got lost to the Patriots as teams that had come back from, I think, the worst record in football and two years later been in the Super Bowl. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. We've got two weeks to wait for the uh, final game of the year, the Rams and the Bengals. And and, and next week you'll have the team's arrival, and, and then, you know, of course the Rams are already there. Uh, and then you'll have the, the media day, which is such a crazy production now. It used to be, and I'm not sure because of COVID how they'll do it this year because they backed off some, I think, last year. Especially certainly. with it being in California. Right, so I, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but in, in non covid situations they've turned media day into some kind of spectacle where yeah. you know the players would come out and then the, it was just you know it used to be you know they bring some players out space them around and, and you know as a as a photographer or reporter you go up and you get your interviews and that kind of thing but now it's just it's total chaos but You've i don't know super how. bowls did you do the media day haven't stuff? never got a chance to do the media because both super bowls i went to the the panther one we got a chance to cover but we didn't get the chance to go until like i think we went on 
Tuesday or Wednesday. Media Day's on Tuesday, so we must have arrived on Wednesday. I try to talk them into going a little earlier, so we go to Media Day, but that didn't work out that year. But uh, yeah, and and I've never done Media Day, but I don't even think I'd want to these days because right. it's just it's just a different uh, different different deal. All right, we're gonna close things up. Want to thank Clayton McCullough. He will be the guest speaker coming up this week for the East Carolina Baseball Banquet. I hope you have your tickets because it's sold out, but it's really a great great deal. Uh, just a, an outstanding night to come because you get a chance to meet the players you hear from the players you hear from clayton so it's going to be a great great time and cliff godwin does a great great job with that so we will have that on saturday and we'll have some of that on our sportscast as well later on so thanks to clayton mccullough he is the first base coach with the dodgers and he's the former rose and east carolina pirate star for being with us on the brian bailey show have yourself a great sports week and we'll see you back here on monday This has been The Brian Bailey Show, powered by Greenville Utilities, and also brought to you by Angus Grill, Bostick Sug Furniture, Bojangles, East Coast Grady, The Gavigan Agency, Papa John's, Pepsi, Seared Chop House, Taft Taft and Hagler, Tiebreakers, and Greenville Auto World. Join us next week for another edition of The Brian Bailey Show, right here on Pirate Radio.